Coming to you from New York, New York, it's the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, and Megan Horan. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. I can't believe we're in our second season. <laughs> so this is show two, second season. Pat, how you doing, buddy? All right, man. How are you? I'm great. Uh, Megan, before you got on the air, said she wants some clarity <laughs> and some questions she has from other people of the first season. So we're going to dedicate the second show to clean up our past and go forward from there. So let us have it, Megan. All right. <laughs> this should be good. interesting. It definitely should be. So obviously, we've talked a lot of stories about the mob. And for someone my age who hasn't lived through it, thank you know, God. <laughs> thank God. A lot of times, a lot of the information just goes right over my head. And it's hard enough to grasp it in the moment, let alone come up with relevant questions while we're discussing it. So, um, yeah, I was hoping you guys should could answer some unanswered questions that I have. Well, I know shoot. Pat. Pat Pat's, Pat's the genius. So. Perhaps I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> yeah, don't say yeah. shoot in this house. Yeah, 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 definitely. Especially yeah. in this house. I yeah. mean, yeah. I, all my yeah. guns yeah. Are, are registered, but they can't. I, I say shoot and you duck, and that's not the way it's no, supposed no, to work. No. <laughs> all, all right, so sort of to recap season one, could you remind us young people again, how and why did the mob first come into being, and who were the original big guys um well, when you refer to the mob you, you you're referring to organized crime yes you want the total origin from sicily how it started yeah i guess so <laughs> okay well we could give you both yeah we can go from sicily as we, I, I mentioned i don't know in how many conversations it, it was a duty for them to organize because basically Sicily was traded around, even by Israel's from one time or another. Mm -hmm. And so it was occupied by so many different countries. Nobody really wanted it. It, Sicily. Italy didn't want it. Okay. It was like so far off. And with this said, basically, the people who were the farmers and, and the workers of the land, they had a, a, a landlord. And the landlord really was abusive. And I, I gave a, a representation which started early on in the 1800s of they actually had the privilege. They were like the king of that little community. And who started the syndicate? Uh, the members that I remember was Joe Bonanno, John Pafacci, Al Capone, okay. um, Charlie Luciano. Luciano, and one other guy, I forgot who it was. I think it was a Midwest guy, but that's out of memory of mm -hmm. many years ago. <laughs> now, it was basically started, you know, violence is bad for business. And uh, during the 1920s prohibition, there was a lot of uh, money to be made. People were killing each other left and right. And then prohibition ends in 1932 or 33, and they had to come up with a way. Well, actually, no one was thinking about this, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, but uh, Luciano. He was a genius behind all this. Yeah. And he, he brought the people together. He says, we have to make this a business. Mm. He said, you know, we're killing each other. It doesn't make any sense. And he was savvy enough not to appoint himself boss. It's going to okay. be uh, uh, an equal spread throughout the five families. 
Mm. He was a very smart man. I mean, had he have not uh, chosen this path, who knows where he might have wound up if he was born under different circumstances. This was a bright guy. Oh, yeah. Right. That's how it started. That's how organized crime became organized. No, it was actually a, a, a They approached it as a business mm -hmm. and stopped the violence and killing and let's do what we know best and make right. money. So how do you yeah. think it's changed since then? Oh, my God, with all these new kids with no respect. You lost the whole element of what it was about. Even with John Gotti and the, the new guys that we all are aware of because mm -hmm. of their notoriety, even Tony Spilatro, they just got greedy and just ran it the way they wanted. And they, I think two things. Now, correct me if I'm wrong or you have something to add. No. Drugs. Oh, my God, yeah. And the media. Yeah. Okay. Some of these guys thought they were stars. You know what it was? They saw the Godfather movie and thought it was real. Huh. I think some of them did, don't you think? Oh, no, they the transitions. They wanted to emulate themselves yeah. based in on the, that movie. In the 70s, it really... Yeah. I mean, John really Gotti even thought, you know, he... And so many... I mean, you go into smaller communities... All these wannabes, mm -hmm. they they took on the, the the persona of Michael and Jimmy Conn and mm -hmm. all these guys as real people, and then as Pat pointed out, the greed because of the money. Because I mean, Mario Puzo got it right when he wrote the book, and it was the old timers, Vito Genovese, and other than Joe Bonanno. Joe Bonanno was. And John and John and Joe Pafacci, I couldn't believe it because I know the Pafacci family really well. I'm still friends with their kids. Okay, but they were enamored with drugs, and they realized the money they can make. And, and I understand the drugs were fairly new, but unbeknownst to a lot of people, even like the man who mentored me, Frank Costello during Prohibition, Frank Costello during Prohibition, Al Capone, and Joe Kennedy made over a billion dollars, a billion mm -hmm. in the 30s. You know what that is today? <laughs> I can't even imagine. It's, it's insane. Right. So that's, that's where they, everybody, you know, and then Joe Pafacci and Joe Bonanno, mm -hmm. they moved against Gambino and Costello. They're going to take them out. In fact, the first attempt was basically Luciano from prison and that's when he got, you know, uh, Chin Gigante. He was his cellmate to come out and kill him. But I have a different theory than that. I think Chin realized these guys are going to go bigger than these guys. And they did. <laughs> Joe Pafacci was taken out and his family became the Colombo family. Because okay. Joe Colombo, you can't say he was a rat because he went to the boss, who at the time, the head of the five families, was Carlo Gambino. Mm. So, I mean, it was still a business. But, you know, if you took the violence out of this, it's like any major company in the world. Mm -hmm. They're always plotting against each other. There's always been egos and, 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 and jealousy right. in all walks of life. Too much power, too much money. And uh, organized crime was created because of the federal government passing the Volstead Act, which was prohibition. Okay. That's what started it. The Got money it. just rolled in. Got it. Uh, be before that, it was individual gangs had their own territory, mostly gambling and extortion. Italians were extorting their own people. Well, a lot of prostitution, too, though. I mean, a lot of prostitution. Yeah, mm. they don't do the hookers anymore. Prostitution was huge. Yeah. Really? Really. And, and made yeah. them very wealthy, especially okay. in Chicago. Well, all the, all, basically all the major cities. That's, that's, that's what they were selling. Mm. So they owned the gambling homes, attached to them the prostitution houses, and so men can go 
into the woods and go into a nightclub you would think was in Vegas hmm. and you know stay the day and and, and 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 Midwest most of the guys were saying they're going on fishing trips and hunting trips to their wives and they'd leave with these clothes and they'd go to their office and put on their suits and pick up their luggage and be gone for oh two or three days. Oh my gosh! But uh, and it, which brings into mind uh, somebody that our audience would know. A young gentleman who was a knock-around guy, a boxer at first. He fought under the name of Kid Crockett. Tough guy and fairly good-looking. And when his boxing career wasn't going where it was going, he became a dealer in mm. Cleveland. Well, a very good friend of mine. In fact, I'm going to go see uh, his son, Joe Sidari, in Cleveland. He owns grocery stores and a very legitimate guy. Mm. And uh, with that said, the guy I'm talking about was D. Martin. Really? And they used him as a 21 dealer, but he was a boxing big guy, you know? Mm -hmm. And he looked that look. And um, that's how he started his career. Wow. And then he started singing, and they took a liking to him, had his nose fixed, <laughs> and then put him with a guy that maybe, uh, you heard about um, Pat, I know she didn't, a guy called Skinny D'Amato. Yeah. Um, Skinny D'Amato owned a place in, in Atlantic City where they showcased all the stars. And a, an act, I don't know if you know this piece of history. I don't know how I just remembered that. <laughs> but an act got sick. And they had a comedian, unknown comedian, and an unknown singer they were going to do a favor for. One was Jerry Lewis, one was DeMont. Hmm. And so they put them together. They ad-libbed their whole act. Wow. And every time Dean was singing, he'd make fun of him. <laughs> and Jerry came on stage as a waiter. And that was the, the birth of Lewis and Martin, or Martin and Lewis, anyway you want to look at it. Wow. But I mean, that's how crazy it was. Mm -hmm. It was Skinny D'Amato's 500 Club in Atlantic City. That's so funny. But, I mean, when you, I mean, the thing that we are all attracted, I mean, I am attracted, I don't know the new generation, but, you know, we have a lot of interest in our show. Because I could see even with my own kids, they're interested in this life. Right. And I mean, just with the, the fame of the Godfather, we've crossed four generations mm -hmm. because there is an interest. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, so your question, uh, do we answer it? Yeah, I, I think you did. Add some. Went, went through quite a bit. So these, the families that you refer to, are they specific bloodlines or are they just more like groups of people? No, they're, not, they're well. Some of them are blood. I mean, okay. a lot of brothers are, are in it. Right. A lot of sons. Sons. But it man. doesn't just run no. through. It's no. just no. groups. No, of people. if you're in the Gambino family, maybe two percent are really Gambino. Got it. Okay. Well, he sure had the biggest that. family. How many did he have, Pat? At one time, they said. But they're the they're the largest of the five families, which makes them the largest in the country. Uh, Eighteen hundred made guys. Supposedly. That's made guys. I understand those guys. That's not associates. And they have a cruise underneath them, the associates. Huh. So you're, you're talking about, you know, five or 6,000 they had on right. the street. So I don't know if I'm using the correct terminology when I ask this question, but so can anyone join or how does that work? No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> First of all, you got to be I, I asked to join. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been I really asked, just don't know. <laughs> you know. You know what's so funny, though? It's funny you should say that. I've actually been asked to join three different families. Really? And I, I, I could turn it down, and I did. And uh, most guys want to. 
So they're the guys that are standing outside their clubs. We've seen it in, uh, we've seen it in um, Bronx Tale. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in so many movies about this life. And they just want to do errands. They start doing errands. Mm. Like I started doing right. errands. But, but that wasn't even, you didn't even realize what you were doing. No, I knew what I was doing, but I mean, but that's how it starts. It. Yeah. Where they just, you know, go do this, we go do that. And they, they test you. Then they'll ask you to do them a favor, which is breaking the law, okay. to see your loyalty. And then it used to be what they call make your bones. They, they wanted you to kill somebody for them. Got it. So and that's... They, so you had, they had that much on you. And is that how you get made? That's how you usually get made. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it now, the newer guys, which because they're big earners. Okay. That's money. Now, now then, you know, they, and, and, the, and the mob realize, you know, they don't need that much enforcement anymore. Got it. Extortion, uh, there's different ways of doing it than taking you out. Mm. And I never forget, uh, an old man told me one time, and he said that killing a guy that owes you money, remember, you're never going to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if he owes you about a dollar eighty and he won't pay you, then kill him. You know, but the, but but the big money it doesn't make any sense unless it, it, it comes down to you have to do it because he's thumbing his nose in your face and yeah, he's I mean, saying bad things, and you have to make an example and the hell with the money. Yeah, mm-hmm. because then everybody that you know these some of these guys you know have two or three million on the street. Yes. At one, two, three points, and if one guy gets away with it, like and Pat saying, snubbing his nose in your face, mm-hmm. who else is going to pay you? Yeah, you can't show weakness. No, hmm. that's bad. Got it. All right, so <laughs> talking about mob bosses and underbosses, I've heard you use both terms. Right. Is there a distinction between the two? Yeah, we just touched on a little. Okay. The five family bosses—they're the bosses. Mm-hmm. Then they have underbosses. Got it. And the vice presidents. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Exactly. That makes sense. It keeps moving down, like, and some are senators, and some. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay, so in an interview with TMZ, regarding the recent hit on Frank Cali, am I saying that right? Um, You said that it couldn't have been a mob hit because they shot him in front of his family's home, and that's not something that they do. No, in, in in the in the oath of that club. First of all, respect is everything. Mm-hmm. Respect to your wife and family is another taboo. Right. You don't kill a wife or kids. And the last thing you do is settle oh. your business in front of that man's family or house. Okay. That's why when I knew, I knew Callie when he, when he was coming here and I knew who sent him and they really thought finally they have a guy that's old school. That's like Carlo Gambino. That's like... Tony Ocardo. And, and they did. And they, they did. did. And Nobody heard anything about this guy. Nobody. He was never in the papers, huh. never in the press. He was here two years from Sicily and really was dead loyal to this. Mm. And this stupid kid. That's why I, I tried to stop it. And I did a lot of media that I normally didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. But it, it, again, because of uh, my loyalty to my friends, I think Pat helped us make our book a bestseller because it came out at the same time. Right, that was that was one of the craziest and Pat, things. Somebody said to me, "You sure you didn't have something to do with right. this?" Right. No, I think there's a lot of there's a lot rumor. of speculation. Well, I mean, I, I did so many shows, and they would say, you know, uh, you, how how do you know that? I mean, how do I know? It's 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 known. Mm-hmm. Anybody, I mean, you start to read up on 
La Cosa Nostra, our thing, whatever it is. There's certain rules that you, you do, and that, those rules are that. And I knew, and I knew the media was trying to put a spin on it, mm-hmm. especially the following week, Eugene Gotti come out of prison. And they're saying, well, you, uh, it looks like Gotti's trying to get his territory back. That's all the newspaper guys do. Hmm. You know how many people could have got hurt if they if that kid who shot Frankie that Frankie boy that night yeah didn't pick up the license plate from the street and throw it in the back of his car. That's how they got his fingerprint. Huh. if that kid didn't pick up that, who knows if there'd be a war going on? Now. Right. So he did get caught. The kid who oh, shot well, him? he was caught within a week. He was caught. Oh, okay. He was caught I didn't right follow away. it too closely, but nobody's so stupid. Mm. He should just slit his wrist now. Go, you know, do like Cheech did. Go in and bathtub, run hot water. Mm. Yeah, he's going to be a punching bag in any prison he goes to. Yeah. Because first of all, this kid was well liked, and then you have idiots who don't even know this kid, and they want the word to get out. You know, I I, I beat that guy up for you. For who? Huh. And so it's. Uh, I mean, there's, there are certain facts of just through trial and error. Most people know this law. If you want to look at it, I'll look it up. Yeah. You know why things are happening. Mm-hmm. So you talked about um, the families, and you said that you were invited in families but weren't never accepted. Right. So how would you exactly describe your position? Well, it's not that he wasn't accepted. He didn't want to I join. Didn't want it. No, that's what I'm saying. He didn't accept it. Me, me. Oh, he didn't yes, yeah. meaning Gianni yeah. didn't didn't accept right. the offers. No, but see, I, I'm I'm in a different situation. I earned my respect early on, and through my family tree, everybody knew I was not around these people to get made. Mm-hmm. There's people around them, like the Gaudis that we know, and Tony Spilatro, and and uh, Sammy the Bull, the people who are in our current events and, and world news. They got into this life to become a boss. Right. That's their goal. And I never did that. I, I never, never even wanted, wanted it. Mm-hmm. And they knew that from the beginning. I mean, I used to have 13, 14. I was allowed in the club without being made. And people knew. And, and, and anybody. Like Chicago one time, a good friend of mine, Nick Nitty, he introduced me, a, a guy who was an acting boss, but I knew Ocado was the guy, and, and he said to me, you know, you should, you, should, you should come with our crew. See, they don't have families in Chicago. Oh, okay. See, New York has the families. So... And New York crime families spread out through the United States. Chicago is called the outfit. They created the outfit. The outfit. Got it. And they run it more like a political arm. They actually hmm. have more people sitting in council. It was just so different. And they, and they had guys like Sam Giancana that wanted that glory and running around and mm-hmm. with Phyllis McGuire and showgirls and, you know, it was all that stuff. Yeah. There, well, there's always those guys. I mean, Joe Colombo was that guy. Mm. And then you got John Gotti was that guy. Sammy DeVoe. I mean, I can go through every name. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I didn't mean Sammy DeVoe, but uh, Tony Spilatro. They're guys that get so affected, as Pat said, they watch The Godfather too many times. They want to be, they want to be uh, kid, uh, the guy from The Sopranos. They want to be Tony Soprano. Yeah, Tony they Soprano. They want to be all these guys. But we never had these kind of shows. We had movies mm-hmm. about Capone and everybody, Little Caesar, James Cagney. I mean, all these guys made careers on it. 
And mm. with that, people were enamored with it. But you never had a TV show. You never had so much exposure to the mob as you do today. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. And so this country has always been uh, in love with the mafia. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, from from the time people heard of it, they they flocked to the movies, they read the books, they mm-hmm. they did. I mean, everybody loves the mob. Uh, some of these misinformed people think they're like Robin Hoods. Oh yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's all about the money, you know. Uh, but still, uh, you know, people aspire to do certain things, and some of these guys grow up in in mafia families, you know, literally families. Fathers in the mob. Oh really? Uh, and then. They aspire to be like dad. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. that's the way it goes. And, you know, know. and it's, it's really not fair because, number one, you know, it's like anything else. If, you're, if your father is in the military and your grandfather was and all that, that's all you know, that life. Right. So you're apt to go into the armed forces. Mm-hmm. Well, we were raised, all we were around were our neighborhoods. What's happening now with all the new generation, you don't really see neighborhoods anymore. I mean, they're there, but they're d- diminishing constantly. So when we were all raised, we went to where all the Italians migrated. Mm-hmm. So we only knew them. So we only knew the one or two guys that were really made, always dressed well, never went to work, mm-hmm. drove the best car. Well, why would you want to be that guy? Yeah. I don't want to go on the piers or a, a laborer digging holes. <laughs> Who the hell wants to do that? Yeah, these guys had no educations. You know, None. And, uh, it's crazy. Where they went. Huh. Interesting. All right. So next one. So it's been reported by multiple sources that Pablo Escobar called off the hit on you after the State Street incident because he found out that you were in one of his favorite films, The Godfather. Is there any truth to that? No, he didn't call it up because of that. I mean, it was his favorite film. Really? And it gave me the opportunity to talk to him. If I, I think if I wasn't in that film and... He would have no reason. Right. Because he came to avenge the death of Lorenzo Morales, his mm-hmm. underboss. But the fact that he had, I mean, he wanted to talk to me. He had control of me anyway. So, you know, I was going to die whenever he wanted me to. <laughs> but the, and when I sat down with him, he asked me why I came. And I told him, I said, I know you have children. And what would you do to save your children's life? I said, I'm a father just like you. And if you want me, kill me. I don't want you to have to go through their normal tactics of merilitos. Merilitos, they want you to suffer. They'll kill your pets, your friends, your neighbors. And oh. you're last. And you're last. Yeah, you watch, you watch all this. Jeez. So when I told him this, and he couldn't believe, first of all, to use the terminology, is I can't believe you had the balls to come here. And I said, I had to. And that's when I told him the story. And I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that there may be a human side to this guy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a human side to anybody. I, I mean, I, I mean, right now, Chapa is having a big problem in prison. He's never been this way. But I mean, he's got to be rehashing his life and understanding it's over. Mm. You could have $10 billion. And go nowhere no more. Right. So you know, I don't think the audience. You know, we we spoke about uh, the incident where you had, where you had to kill that guy in the club and a lot of notoriety, a lot of press. But I don't think we brought up the fact that uh, Escobar wanted to act out a scene from The Godfather with you. 
I don't think we ever discussed that. What? Oh, yeah. He did. did we play that? No, we, we never touched on that. I don't think we did. No, you know what happened was he was so enamored with the film. And well, I thought, hold, hold on one second so I can yeah. make sure the audience has a straight. How did he eventually find out after three days of captivity uh, that you were in the movie? How did he know that? I, I don't know that question. You didn't tell him. I know. And the, yeah. th the thing was, I mean, I don't know if John Gotti told him. We, we had friends. We had mutual friends, yeah. Noriega. But when I got there, it was all about that business of what I did mm -hmm. to his guy. And again, I don't know who told him what version of what really went on. And when I sat down, I told him, I said, you know, I own that club. I went up to your guy after he stabbed this lady. I had nothing to do with this. And I don't know what you heard, love triangle or the mm. drugs. I, I have nothing to do with any of that stuff. I said, I just went to try to get the lady to the hospital and get him out of there. Right. I didn't need any addicts. I don't know if he was friends of friends of mine and he had a bad night. I don't want the guy to go to jail. But when he showed up, I don't even know how many hours I was being tortured. I all I looked raised up my head to maybe a thigh high of him, but I saw the book in his hand, the making of the Godfather, <laughs> and I hear a voice, knowing and thinking and hoping it was his, and he said, "Why don't you tell me you were calling with the Godfather?" Oh my God! Hey, you didn't ask. Hello. Hey. <laughs> And that's when he said, in whatever, Colombian, he told him to bring me up. I went upstairs. They brought me, he showered me, gave me medicine for my wounds and all that. And then when I felt better, he said just, and there was always somebody watching me outside my door. Right. And uh, then I went to dinner with him, I think the next day, because I was really hurting, especially my groin area. They were doing numbers on me, man, with this battering ram-like thing, rubber ball. Who was doing that? His guys were torturing me. For how long? I don't know, a day, day and a half. Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, that's what they did. I mean, there was body bags all around that room. The stench was ridiculous. I, I, I don't know how many people realize, when you get that afraid, mm -hmm. you automatically relieve yourself. Right. And you, Your body voids, it's automatic. Yeah. So, and, and they're not in there cleaning up anything. No, definitely not. It's, uh, you know. Uh, how did he get to the point where he wanted you to reenact the scene with... Uh... Yeah, how did that happen? Well, we, we, you know, we, we talked and he, he got, you know, he was very nice. He was sitting way at the end of it, like my table here. He was way down there, I'm over here, and I'm saying, okay, what's this about? <laughs> he said, well, now that I hear the story, I'll handle this. I said, okay. He said, you gotta do me a favor. I said, what do you want me, I, you know. Want me to paint your house? You want me to clean your house? <laughs> yeah, right. Just get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, anything you want. He says, my favorite scene is with you and Michael at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. He says, would you do that scene with me? And I'm saying, is this guy kidding me or what? <laughs> I said, of course I will. Naturally. I said, you want me to write it? He says, no, no, I know the scene. He know it by heart. And we sit down, and he moves his chair around like Michael was sitting with mm -hmm. me. And he plays out the whole scene. So now I'm thinking, this guy's a sick motherfucker. Oh, oh yeah. Sick guy. <laughs> and, you, you can say that. No. Yeah, you could say it. And, it's and, good. And, and I thought maybe at the end of the scene, when he gives me the ticket, they walk me out to the car, 
He's really going to kill me. Oh, now. my gosh. Yeah, I didn't even think That's about that. That's how the scene ends in the movie. Right, because you no. die. <laughs> so I'm saying, wait a minute. Kick out the windshield. He's saying, let's just do this scene, and then my guys will take you to the airport. Oh, my gosh. Have you heard that before? Hello. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so now, I mean, eerie. so this is also going, going to my head, yeah. So we do the scene. He nailed it. I mean, every, every, every gesture. It was good? It was amazingly good. He even had the guy hand me a drink. He pushed the drink up to my head. <laughs> oh, I mean, he had my god! I don't know how many long he rehearsed with these yeah. guys before me. but uh, Did anybody video it? I don't think so. I didn't. You know, I at that point, I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Right. I don't know if he had cameras on everything. I don't know. But the, the, that's, then they walked me out to the car. It, and I'm saying, this is it for this me. This is it, man. And I got in the car, and the guy in the back says, Hello, Carlo. <laughs> oh my gosh, did and you freak out? I freaked out and they all started laughing, which I thought was still the joke. Oh my and gosh. Then he came over, he shook my hand, and I figured, this is it. And I was gone, went to the airport. That's a crazy story. I couldn't get out of that car fast enough. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and how, how long after The Godfather was this encounter? Well, uh, that happened in 88. October oh, okay. 24th, 88, so it was 14 years. Yeah, or, right. Or whatever, since we made it. Yeah, so huh. that was a while. I owned State Street already. Right. I don't know, so. No, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a, a crazy, crazy time. That's insane. Uh, these are very good questions. Oh, maybe. well, I'm glad. No. Yeah, see, you know, Pat and I have been in this life forever. Mm -hmm. And we just take it for granted everybody knows what, you know, we're talking about and not talking about. Yeah, that's why I'm glad you came up with this. Yeah, this I keep I keep up the best I can, but sometimes sometimes I'm still just not sure. No, I got a question for you, Pat. Because oh. uh, I, I, I had a curiosity, I would never ask you this. You were on the job 20 years, right? To the day. To the day. Mm. Did you have to have to kill anybody? You know, I hurt somebody's feelings once, <laughs> and I, that that really uh, no. Uh, Vietnam, yes, but not... No, I mean, I, well, that was a different thing. Yeah, that's no, a whole different Because so, uh, nah, I, I always wanted to ask you if I thought this was my opportunity. No, never did. Okay, that's good. That's and I'm, good. I'm happy I, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. I, I always thought I was just taking out the garbage, so to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so to me it was like... Uh, well, I, 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 I said that, in fact, to the last district attorney I sat in front of. I said, understand this, I'm a Catholic. And he was a Jewish district attorney. And he said, what does that have to do with it? I said, we're all put on <laughs> earth for a reason. My early age, I was an altar boy with my grandmother. Then I went to the hospital. I was trying to get sympathy from him. That's why I'm telling my story. Right. But I truly yeah. believed in this. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, there was a, a pedophile and, and he basically was abusing a lot of kids. I didn't know. I was in exposed to it. No, no kids were as they are today. I mean, today, you know, nobody sits down and tells the kids about the birds and bees. They know more than their families do. Right. But when we were growing up, there was a nut. That's how you learned. Or what you thought was sex or whatever. Or sex, we didn't even know what sex was. But the thing was, I said, you know, and I got put into a situation where I had to make a decision to stop this guy from abusing kids. Or you in particular. Uh, or me in particular. Uh, so, but no, I, was, I had to 
what I did. Self-defense situation. Yeah, but I had, but I, I wanted to justify me yeah. making my weapon. Yeah. Months, oh, yeah, right. months before. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think like a, a lawyer does. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that said, then he asked, which was good for me. Mm-hmm. He said, "How old are you? What, what are you talking about?" I said, "Well, I, I got polio. I was, you know, in the hospital for five years, and totally, totally quarantined, restricted, saw nobody, and I was warned about this guy who was abusing." boys basically and this one nurse who i friended uh, told me about you know you have to watch him so i was very curious concerned and scared mm-hmm. but the courage i got basically was i was not going to become one of his pawns or playthings. and he tried to attack me and i killed him and he looked at me dumbfounded because i was there for another person I killed, which he knew nothing about that that case. Oh my gosh! But I think my honesty there again. Right. So he says, "Why do you?" I said, "Let's get back to the religion part of it, so you understand." I said, "Would I kill again? Yeah. Huh. If I saw somebody abusing somebody that couldn't defend themselves, I'm going to take him out, Your Honor." He said, "Why do you think you should? Why don't you call a cop?" I said, "There's not a cop on every corner." If there's a cop, I'll call the cop. You know, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Yeah, hello. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if that swayed it, but I was already proven it was justifiable. Right. Yeah. But he could have, you know, they, they could have started a case or not. And then they dismissed it for justifiable. Right. And I, I met that guy several times after, and he said, you know, that was brilliant. <laughs> I said you it wasn't. Got to law school. It wasn't meant to be brilliant. It was being. I was being very honest at the time, and you know, it wasn't me trying to evade anything, but uh, it's um, what I thought I should do. Oh, that's so crazy. But uh, what else you got? That's all I got for now. You guys answered a lot of my questions. You're kidding me. <laughs> and we did an hour. What? About Forty minutes. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to talk about now? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what we should talk about? What? Could, uh, and Pat brought this to our attention. We keep telling you all who are listening, you know, subscribe, send us emails. We made it a little easier now. Mm. We opened a phone line because a lot of people like me, I don't do emails. But if I could pick up the phone right now and call us, leave us a message. We'll answer your questions on the radio. Or any way you want. You know, eventually we're going to... In fact, let us know if you want to be on the radio and call us. And we'll bring you on the show Mm. by Skype. But, you know, make sure they're interesting questions. Don't say, what'd you eat this morning? (laughs) We're not calling you. This (laughs) is a dedicated line. It goes straight to voicemail. No one's going to answer the line. But uh, every day I go to those, those, uh, those voicemails. And we will answer your questions. If you don't want to be identified... Just don't give your name. If you only want your first name mentioned, do that. Whatever you want. Ask the question. This will save you time from sitting behind a keyboard. Yeah. Uh, that that, uh, that uh, number is posted. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, listen to it at the, when, when Megan does the closing uh, yeah. uh, credits, remarks. The phone number will be in those closing remarks. Awesome. Or is it in those closing remarks. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that we're in our second show. 
<laughs> and we finished our second show. <laughs> our second season, rather. Second season. I didn't realize radio has seasons. Yes. Uh, I can't hear you guys. What's wrong? Uh-oh. Okay, I got you. I got oh, you're you. good? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got to stop playing with those dials. I'm I, telling you. I know you're getting bored. <laughs> All right. So we're going to sign off until next week. Remember, every Wednesday, we have a new show. And we're starting a new category of shows that I think you'll all be very interested in. We're ready to go to the mailbag, so get your paper and pencils out for the answers. (laughs) Maybe we'll start a quiz or some kind of thing. You'll win a car or something. Yeah, whoever knows the most answers to the question. Pay attention. Yeah, we'll invite you to dinner or something. (laughs) To our house. Or that. Okay. Okay, so Anthony asks for Gianni, what can you tell us about Dionne Warwick? Not much. No? I'd rather not. All right. No, Dion, Dion was a good friend of mine, and uh, I think she, uh, well, let's not go into it. I mean, we had a great time together. We made a lot of money together. We had a company called December 12th, which most people don't realize. Dion was born December 12th. Sinatra was born December 12th, and I, and we had this company called December 12th, and we were very successful, and uh, I wish her luck. I see she's back out again. Great performer, and, and you managed her for fourteen years, no? Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah. we did a yeah. lot, a lot of, a lot of things together. Fortunately, even Solid Gold, a lot of, a lot of shows, a lot of positive things. Hey, you went to the White House, met the president. Oh my God, yeah, well, that was a funny story because when Jimmy Carter, we both have our own feelings about Jimmy Carter. Me, yeah. I borrowed seventy-three million dollars to build my hotel in nineteen eighty, and then Jimmy Carter was the president, and that's when construction money went up to nineteen percent. And Ernst and Young, who was my accounting firm, told me I'd have to pull out the plug now because I'd need 91% occupancy just to service my debt. Hmm. And so soon after that, we were promoting Dion for anything with a great image. So they made her, Jimmy Carter, I'll never forget this, made her the ambassador to health. The mm. lady smokes three packs of cigarettes a day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She'd leave the White House to go outside and have a cigarette. Oh I'm my saying to myself, gosh. this ain't going to work too, too That's long. That's so funny. But, no, I do, and I love her kids. I mean, and David and Elliot, and, you know, these kids are all. But that's something. We, I, I know, I, you know, I, you'll find out I never talk about my kids. I never talk about relationships that I don't control mm-hmm. because I don't think I have. It's, all I'd be doing is giving you my opinion. Hmm. So I'd well, I think not. that's a good a good stance to have. Oh, I think so too, especially when we're all public. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, so one for both Gianni and Pat. Both of you can answer this question. What can you tell us about the Irish mob versus the Italian mob? Who was stronger? Connor answered asked that question. I don't think there's any doubt it was the Italians, but the uh, Irish were crazier. What do you think, Gianni? Well, yeah. I mean, I I was fortunate to meet a lot of the the Westies. And as we know, and we said earlier in another program, our friend gave him that name, Joe, Joe Coffey. And, uh, but Billy Leahy and all those guys, I knew them well. And I, I went to see Billy last time, you know, uh, he just passed on. His son died like eight months later. The Westies were always very, they were the conduit for muscle mm. for the five families in New York. They used them a lot. And they had a tremendous alliance. They were tough. Tough, tough Irish guys are great. See, Italians. They were wild men, though. Yeah. Couldn't trust them. 
Oh yeah, that's it. I mean, oh. well, they drank so much. Too. I mean, yeah, I love <laughs> that's their, definitely their history of <laughs> having a loose tongue at the bar. <laughs> I mean, that's they lived in bars. Yeah, that, there's a, a, a truth serum. Uh, it's called alcohol and coke. Mm, that's a good <laughs> you know, combination. You, 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 yeah, you start talking and you never shut up. Oof. Yeah, uh, but I, I have that, a tremendous respect for the Westies and still do. Hmm. But uh, all right. Okay, so I believe the name is Jai. It's J-Y-E. But they ask, what is the real scoop on Bumpy Johnson? Bumpy Johnson uh, was the first numbers guy. He, he, he uh, practically invented it on a large scale. Numbers, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's, it's the last three figures of the total daily handle uh, uh, for an open racetrack, they pick a racetrack, so the the number can't be rigged. Whatever money they collect for the day, the last three figures in that number is the number for the day, and you could bet anything from a penny to wh whatever you want to bet. And it was it was a poor people's way to gamble, and it started in in Harlem. And Bumpy Johnson was the man, hmm. and they, nickels and dimes and pennies add up. And and the Genovese family collared him, and took his business. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. No, it got to be so. As me getting into it, a lot of my collections during the day, and I remember it well. For a nickel, for the listeners, even you, Megan, mm -hmm. for one nickel you could bet a nickel mm -hmm. on any three numbers. You could get a combination, bet fifteen cents, and you could combo it. And like Pat said, if it's Aqueduct. The last three numbers of the total handling of the track money was the number of the day. And oh. it was publicized at night in the Daily News or the, or the Daily Mirror they had at that time. Hmm. And for that nickel, you got $26. Oh, my. So housewives, everybody was doing it. Yeah, yeah and that's and a good deal. Yeah. 600 to one odds. Yep. Right. And everybody loved, wow, 600 to one odds. I can bet a dollar if my number comes out. I'll win 600, but in reality, the true odds are 999 to 1. So the oh. uh, the banks, the mob, the bumpy Johnsons of the world, whoever does numbers, were, were guaranteed a 30% a uh, profit. Yep. Wow. It was huge. Uh, but the upside is, of course, you won the money, you didn't have to pay taxes on it. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and the other side of it is, if you, if you were my customer, we'd square up at the end of the week. See, that's why I knew when they said they were going to set up off-track betting. Mm. People who are degenerate gamblers, they have no credit and they have no money. <laughs> so they need a bookmaker where they bet $10, $20 a race. These are cold, hard degenerates. Mm. They used to, you see them walk in the streets with a race, racing form in their back pocket. I knew they were my customers. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of trust involved, right, Gianni? I oh, mean, yeah. uh, that's how it worked. You oh, know, yeah. You, you called up your bookie, you made a bet, but then you would meet at the end of the week to either get paid off or pay off. Right. Hmm. That's all. So and you couldn't do that. And you couldn't do that at off-track betting or anything like that. You can't oh, do I have it. to have the cash. You have to have cash. They don't have it. Hmm. All right. So we have an, a career-related one for Pat. Um, Jason says, you have mentioned dealing with Gianni in his younger years when you were with the NYPD following the mob. What was the most challenging part of that type of work? Blending in. Hmm. I mean, uh, you're bouncing from bar to bar and club to club. Seems like a, a you know, a nice way to earn a buck. But you, you got to be careful, you know. I mean, you can't be seen too many times in one place. 
I was there. I wasn't there to infiltrate uh, anything. I was there to just pick up intelligence. Mm. You know, and uh, back then, I mean, it was it was the seventies. The NYPD was having a lot of problems. Entire divisions, the entire plainclothes division in the in the in uh, the Bronx was on the take. You know, there were honest cops, but there were a lot of crooked cops. So it, it was easy back then. You try doing something like that now, and nobody would trust you. I, I couldn't. You know, I I, I infiltrated a, a Chinese gang, and I don't know if you're aware of this, Johnny, but I'm not Chinese. Did you know that? Yep. <laughs> what yeah, did you wear? What mean, did you wear? Rubber they, banner on your head? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just trusted me. I, I I was playing the role of a crooked police lieutenant who was getting people carry pistol licenses. Uh, well, that sounds uh, like the history that, of the police department now, years ago. And I don't think it would be very difficult to do that now. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially after the last performance of all the Sephardics carrying guns. And, there you go. And, oh, yeah. And that, got, that was the license division. That I was know. Uh, people trying to buy uh, carry licenses. New York City is the most difficult place in the United States to get a carry pistol permit. Yep. Mm. Uh, for, for example, mm. in Pennsylvania, where, where uh, I live, you go and sign your name to a form and you got it. It's a shell. They don't even fingerprint you here. Wow, hmm. it's it, it's a, it's a shall issue state. You live here. You want to carry a license, providing you're not uh, a domestic abuser or a convicted felon, and you haven't been convicted of a DUI three times in five years. Hmm. If you got convicted twice in five years of a DUI, they give you the license. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, Nevada is another place. I mean, they just go down and sign a piece of paper and give you a gun. Oh That's my it. gosh! Uh, in New York, it's damn near impossible, and it was all kinds of scams that I, I could have inserted myself into, where people wanted something. I didn't want something from them; they wanted something from me. They wanted guns, and it was so easy to do. And mm. I mean, really, really sharp uh, Chinese gang members just opened up to me. I mean, it's the easiest thing I ever did. I didn't do it long, uh, but uh, in fact, I didn't want to do it. I was approached by. Uh, by uh, Chinese people. I was always down there. I used to live down there. So every now and then I would go back and I was approached. You have to report those things to your superiors. Mm. But first of all, you don't know who it is that's approaching you. Yeah. It, it could be somebody that's working undercover trying to yeah, snag yeah. you up yeah. in, a, in, a, yeah. in, in a crime. So you, you're obligated anyway to report it. I reported it and he said, well, you're going to have to work this through and congratulations, you're working undercover. So I did that for a while. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I tell you, I, I enjoyed it. Good. Live, live by a wit, so to speak. And it's not as dangerous as you might think it is, uh, you know, watching things on television. You know? mm. Nobody nobody wants to hurt a cop. They find you out, they just tell you to get lost. Oh, unless okay. You're, 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 it, unless you're one of the Joe Pistones of the world, uh, an FBI agent undercover for six years. If they would have caught him, he would have had a problem. I, I, I didn't uh, reach those depths. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next one. Nicole asks for both Gianni and Pat, when was the most scared you ever were in your life? Well, Pat, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah. You got, well, twice. Uh, twice in, I would say, in my career. Once, first time wasn't uh, one single episode. The Black Liberation Army was a group of black uh, militants that wanted to take over the United States by starting a race war. And they thought the best way to do this was to assassinate New York City police officers. Oh. And uh, one night, 
We were working in the uh, in the ninth precinct, which is the East Village. Mm-hmm. It was January, I believe, it was January twelfth, which is Howard Stern's birthday, by the way. That's how I, I, I recall it. Mm. But uh, uh, the uh, tactical patrol force worked in the worst of the worst neighborhoods, and this was in the the heat of uh, of the Black Liberation Army days. And you you work together on footposts. It's January. It's freezing, and we had walked uh, a footpost. Me and this. This cop I was working with, and we passed two cops that were working for the precinct itself. We worked at various precincts at various times. These cops were assigned to the precincts. Uh, the, the name was uh, Rocco Laurie and Gregory Foster, two patrolmen. We passed them on the street, said hello. We subsequently, my partner and I, went to a coffee shop on 14th Street called Yaya's to get out of the cold. Mm-hmm. Those two cops, Foster and Laurie, in 10 minutes of us walking past them, were assassinated. Oh my gosh! Wow. So I realized what could have been. Jesus! And it scared the hell out of me. These guys—they just didn't shoot you. They—they they, uh, mutilated your body before. Yeah, they, they wanted to make a. Oh a, my gosh! They wanted to make a, make a statement make, about they, it. They killed quite. They killed and wounded quite a few New York City cops. We were carrying automatic weapons that you know I brought, I brought back from Vietnam, and that's you know cops' fathers brought back BARs from World War Two. We were carrying all unauthorized weapons just to survive. Oh, man. That was one time. And the other time, you may find is very odd. The Apollo Theater, Johnny, 125th Street. Oh, yeah, I know. Well. Okay. There's, yeah, there's, a, there's a, like a long walkway uh, on the street to get into the, you know, to the theater doors. Uh, and uh, Muhammad Ali was appearing there to say a few words. You know, we weren't allowed in. We were there to control crowds. Mm-hmm. And we were up against the the door. She's already inside, and everybody is now uh, all all the fans are out on the street with police barriers. Those saw horses. Yeah. There was thousands of people out there, and as soon as the doors opened for him to leave, he should have left by a rear entrance. Uh, that that would have been the smart move, but no, he comes out the front with with his people, and spectators broke through the saw horses and rushed him. And we were caught in this, it's like an alleyway that leads to the doors of the, the Apollo Theater. It's wow. enclosed. And I I actually, I'll never forget it. I to this day, I don't like crowds from that incident. They pinned us. Now, they weren't after us to hurt us. And we wanted to get next to Muhammad Ali. Right. Like to touch him, anything. And they pinned us up against the wall. I couldn't breathe. Oh, my gosh. A thousand people. I thought I was going to die. Oh, oh gosh! And uh, the happy ending is well, I didn't. You didn't. Here I am. Thankfully, but uh, uh, the 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 crowd dissipated, and we couldn't fight. I couldn't raise my arms to push people away. I was pinned up against. That wasn't only me; it was like twenty other cops. Yeah, yeah. Those were the two scariest. Wow. How about you? Those are some pretty scary well, times. My, my, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean that, <clears throat> especially when you can't pick up your arms. My, my oh, situation uh, was illustrated in the book. <laughs> um, I think my, the most scariest part of my life, and I've been in a lot of scary situations, but being in, in, in Bogota under the uh, capture of Pablo Escobar mm. and being tortured and feeling my body closing down because I already had an incision on my neck that was bleeding and they were beating me. I don't even know how long I was there, how many hours or what, what it took. And until he came to my rescue, I didn't know, you know, that was it because there was body oh bags gosh. laying around me already. Oh. The stench in that room, I mean, it was just, you smelled death. 
And uh, that had to be the scariest because I had no control. I was shackled wrist and ankles to a steel chair, no, no seat to the bottom of the chair. And they were just banging me with this, like, uh, like a, uh, I guess the only way to say is what the knights used to use when they, when they fought in the, in the, in the Coliseum. It was a ball. A mace. It was a ball on a chain. Oh, my gosh. It's, yeah, that's called a mace. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, M-A-C-E, mace, yeah. Well, well, let me ask you a question, Johnny. Do you, uh, as we sit here today and talk, do you get up every day or sometime during the day and say to yourself, I'm, I'm so glad I'm alive? Well, not only that, I mean, you know. I know I do. I, I, I do. I, I do many times a day, actually. Mm. But I, I have altars in most of my bedrooms in my houses and where I live or spend time. And I, I'm constantly praying. I am so blessed, it's ridiculous. Mm. And I never forget it one day in my life, never. Good for you, and you shouldn't. Nope, I won't. Wow. Never will. Well, on that note, I think we're all done for tonight. Yeah, well, thank you again, and please keep the cards and letters coming. Who used to say that? <laughs> Send your cards and letters. Somebody said that. I think, uh, I think it was Bob, Bob Hope or something. Yeah, somebody like that. <laughs> but with that said, we really want your cards and letters, phone calls, any means of communication. Please be in touch with us. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe. These stories are going to go ongoing forever. We have thousands of them. And we really appreciate you all tuning in. So good night and thank you again. Good night, Johnny. Good night, right. good night guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. My name is Megan Horan. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit Amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.